you're listening to the 10 by 9 podcast. I'm Paul Doran, co-founder of 10 by 9 along with Padraig Otuma, which we started in Belfast in 2011. 10 by 9 is a live event where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. On this podcast, we have three stories for you, all from people featured for the first time and all involving being abroad. There are dangers, weirdness, and also incredible kindness. We start with a story from our Belfast night in April. The theme was guilt, and Ruth Agnew made her 10 by 9 debut with this. I have an Achilles heel. Peanuts. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, but a single, small, insignificant little peanut has the power to kill me really quite quickly. I often forget that my downfall could easily appear in food at any time. But apart from difficulties eating birthday cake at childhood parties and the odd scare where my grandmother cooked me satay chicken, it has had a remarkably small impact on my life. The first time that I felt truly disadvantaged by peanuts was whenever I was refused a place on a volunteer trip away on medical grounds. For a dumbfounded moment, I had no idea why this could possibly be. And then I realised my bloody allergy. Apparently, going to India, where they sneak peanut oil into almost every dish, is not an ideal environment for me to go to. Not to worry, I was told they could transfer my application over to another charity who had dealt with these issues before. Apparently, they had a medical officer in country, and because of this, they were happy to have me on their team. Relieved and excited, I headed to Tanzania with a large group of 18 to 25-year-olds from the UK, where we met with our Tanzanian counterparts and were split into smaller groups. My team was being placed in a village called Aringa Mvumiempia. It was close to a big city with a hospital, just in case of peanut-related emergencies, um, and medical attention would only be an hour away by car. Their medical officer, with, I have to say, unspecified qualifications, worked in the charity's headquarters and would be contactable for advice at any time. It all sounded pretty well organised. It was a shame and mildly concerning that when we arrived we realised there were no cars in the village and that emergency transport would involve either hailing a non-existent taxi in the arse end of nowhere or the more likely option, finding a farmer and convincing him to lend us a cow and a cart for a three to four hour trek into the city. By which time it would have probably been a little bit too late. It was also a shame that the phones we had been given to contact headquarters gave new meaning to the word temperamental, meaning medical advice may have been reachable if we happened to be lucky. The biggest shame, however, was that we were smack bang in the middle of agricultural land which produced all of Tanzania's peanuts. The entire village was surrounded by fields upon fields of the things. It turns out peanuts are one of Tanzania's biggest exports. As very obvious newbies in the village, with half of us being funny-looking white people who had appeared out of nowhere and set up tents beside the high school, we clearly attracted quite a lot of attention. This attention came with a lot of welcome gifts. And these gifts were shopping bags filled to the brim with freshly picked peanuts. <laughs> Unable to refuse these, we smiled, thanked them, and kept the bags safely hidden in the boys' tent. 
Our team consisted of six people from across the UK. Me, Taku, Gav, Sophie, Hannah, and Irenia. There were also six Tanzanians, Esther, Mo, Anaset, Liko, Ibrahim, and Mebu. All of the Tanzanians spoke some English, but Esther was the only one who could speak very well, and she became interpreter after one of our leaders threw a temper tantrum and was kicked out. The Learn to Speak Swahili book I had bought and read a few chapters of didn't do an awful lot to help us communicate. Strain within our group grew. As the leaders fell out, some of the UK girls became unreasonably angry with Tanzanian timekeeping, and there was general frustration about pretty much everything. This wasn't helped by the fact that there were 14 of us living in just two tents with limited access to water and food. On top of this, when Westerners travel to volunteer, we often believe that we are going to change the world immediately. And some members of my team became very despondent and discouraged when this, unsurprisingly, did not happen. There were numerous arguments throughout our first few weeks, but the worst came following a discussion between me and our leader about my nut allergy. He made an executive decision to move the peanuts from the boys' tent to a building across the path and further away from me. Just in case, you know, I died. <laughs> Turns out this was the final straw for a few of the boys, in particular for Mebu. He saw this as deeply offensive, felt that we were casually disregarding the villagers' generosity and insulting them by throwing away the gifts they had given us. I personally felt he was casually disregarding my life, but there you go. <laughs> he riled up Liko, Anaset and Ibrahim, and there was a lot of arguing and shouting going on, which I was quite happily ignoring from the comfort of my sleeping bag, blissfully ignorant that my allergy was the cause of this latest fight. One of my friends, friends barged into the tent, blissfully um, full of righteous indignation on my behalf, when I discovered the cause of the argument, I immediately felt sick. I felt so guilty that I was the cause of this latest fracture within our team. More shouting followed, plus what sounded like running. My friend came back in and was ripping with anger. She was still screaming at people outside the tent and through all the noise, I discovered that the bags of safely hidden peanuts were now being thrown all over our camp. Through the cooking area, through our stores of food, under the baobab tree, literally everywhere. This escalated into the worst fight we had during our time there. Now, I have always hated confrontation and will avoid it at almost all costs. This time was worse than normal because I felt like I was the cause of it. If it wasn't for me and my stupid allergy, this would not have been an issue. I became more and more upset as the fight continued and as people tried to drag me into it, I did the only thing I could think of doing at the time. I ran. I literally ran away. I don't blend in in Africa. <laughs> Even at the best of times. Being ginger, I stuck out more than the others. And I stuck out even more that day. I have no idea what on earth I must have looked like or what the poor unsuspecting Tanzanian villagers thought of a random crying white girl running through their village market. I knew it was ridiculous. I knew I was being ridiculous. I was 22, I was a strong, independent young woman, for God's sake. Why was I making such a spectacle of myself? I couldn't help it though, it felt as if the world was ending. The team would never speak again and it would be all my fault. And so I cried my little heart out while sitting behind the butchers, 
beside the rock they used to kill the cattle on. <laughs> Eventually I calmed down, stopped crying and started to wise up a bit. Of course this wasn't all my fault. Why had I been feeling so bad? But as the guilt faded, embarrassment took over. And that was way worse. <laughs> there was no way I was going back to that camp ever. And so I stayed beside the rock. Thankfully, not in use that day. And I stayed there. It was only the fear of search parties being sent out and causing an even bigger scene that made me head back to camp as night fell. I slunk back in and went straight to sleep to avoid having to talk to anybody. The next day, we actually all sat down and talked through what had happened. We sorted out our differences and began to make amends. And surprisingly, after our rocky start, we actually had a really good few months. I have a lot of stories from that trip, but this is the one where I cried, ran and hid, all because of guilt and peanuts. Guilt and peanuts, what a combination. We hope to hear more of those stories Ruth mentioned in upcoming 10x9s. She might want to pick a night when her mum isn't there. Next up, let's head to Manchester. And you know the song Three Lions about the England World Cup team? Well, here's Sam Morris with a story which might leave you with an earworm for the rest of the day, but it's worth it. I'm going to let you decide how this fits the theme of journey. You might think of it as a metaphorical journey because it's a journey through maturity because I like to think I'm more mature now. Or you might see it as a literal journey in the sense it was the last time I went on holiday and it was quite funny. Um, because last summer... Uh, I decided to go to Cabos with some of my friends. Um, we'd all just graduated university, decided we wanted to celebrate by punishing ourselves and making some bad mistakes. Um, in reality, we'd actually graduated about a year before, but we really wanted to justify spending the money that we didn't have. So we all decided to go to Cabos. Uh, what I didn't realise is the week that we went was during the World Cup, because I don't really get football, don't understand it, but I do understand cheap drinks. So. Me and my mates ended up going to the bars to watch the matches every night because they were all really into it. And all the bars were just absolutely full of people watching the matches. The night I remember, it was England versus Tunisia. I think that happened at some point. It's possible, but there was a match that England was in. And England won. And all these bars were full and then they sort of emptied onto the strips and there was all these guys going down the street going three lines on a shirt, really, really hyped up from the match. So we leave the bar and we start going down and as we go past we see this little penalty shootout game. The idea is that there was, you give them three euros, you get three chances to shoot a ball into a net and then if you win you get a little cheap bottle of champagne. Adam, who was one of the guys I was with, walks past and goes, oh he's stupid enough to try and pay that. Goes past, walk past again about 30 minutes later, Adam's had a few more drinks, he's like, that seems brilliant, let's do it. So Adam really wants to win this bottle of champagne gives him three euros to give it a shot, tries again, tries again. About 30 euros later, no champagne, but a lot of shame instead. At this point, we've been there so long, we sort of bonded with three other people who really wanted to win a bottle of champagne. They're all from Wolverhampton, my mum's from Wolverhampton, so that was a bonding moment for us. And these guys kind of became our sort of like holiday friends for that week. One of them was called Ash. Now, like I said, even though this wasn't that long ago, I feel like we were all a lot more immature at the time. And we sort of played this game called What Are The Odds? It's a very stupid game to make stupid people do stupid things. Uh, essentially, you both say to someone, what are the odds? And they would give you a number, and then you'd essentially give them a dare 
if you both said that number, they have to do it. So it sort of escalated to the point where I said to Ash, what are the odds you would get a tattoo tonight? He said five. I also said five. Now originally, the idea was that Ash would have to get one of our names so that he could remember us forever. Um, but he started freaking out, he's in the parlour, he's like, no, 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 I can't do it, I'm not getting one of your names because my mum will kill me. I said, okay, okay, get whatever you like, if you still get the tattoo, that's fine. So he says, okay, okay, I'm going to get three lions, because you know what, that's a tattoo that I would have got anyway. Okay, sure, that's fine. So we go with him to the tattoo parlour, the nicest tattoo parlour we can get, and he shows the guy the tattoo that he wants, and he says, okay, that'll be 40 euros. He says, oh, well, I've only got 30 euros. Can you guys chip in? Because, you know, you guys dare me to do it. He said, oh, I've not got any money on me. I did, but I don't want to pay for the tattoo I'm never going to see again. So he said, right, right, that's fine. At this point, he was wasted. He's like, right, I'll get the tattoo, but uh, will you do it with two lines instead? Will that be cheaper? <laughs> he says, okay, yeah, I, get, I can do it for two lines for 30. Great, fantastic. So we're then there with this guy that we met that night, watching him get two lions tattooed on his chest. There's a lot of Snapchat, there's a lot of Instagram, all sorts, but we think, wow, this is an incredible moment I'm sure he's not going to regret at all. The next day we bump into him again, because we sort of were drinking with them every night that week. We said, oh, how's the tattoo? He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And you know what? It was funny at the time. He was getting a lot of attention for it, because he wasn't wearing a shirt. A lot of people thought it was funny. We ended up walking down the streets going, two lines on a shirt, can't afford the third one. Which meant people would come up to him, said, that's not what it is, it's three lines, they'd see the tattoo, buy him a drink. It was a great 24 hours. 24 hours passed, then his mum finds out he's got the tattoo, he's scared to go home. He's already very, very bored of only having two lines of people singing it at him, because everyone knew the song at that point, it's only a small strip. He says, okay, okay, can't do this anymore. I've got some money back, I'm going to get the third lion. So, okay. I don't know where everyone else went, but it only ended up being me, Ash, and my friend Adam. So, Ash decided to go back to a tattoo parlour with two people he doesn't know. At that point, I did sort of say, I will pay for your tattoo if you get two more lines instead of the third. He said, no, 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 my mum's already furious, I'm getting the third lion. So, he goes in. Again, he was really drunk again. I don't think I know what he was like sober, really. But he's there getting the third line. Me and Adam are watching him, and we're sort of thinking, that third line's a little skew-if, it's not great, but we don't want to say anything because it's a bit tragic. And then the next day, we bump into him again. First thing I do is say, Ash, how's your new tattoo? And he says, oh, it's all right. I mean, it's a bit skew-if. So we think, oh, okay, at least he knows. But that's not really the problem. He's like, why, what's happened? He said, well, look at it. I'm looking at it. I'm just seeing these three lines. I don't really get what's going on. He said, I got the wrong lion. Apparently, again, I don't know football, but the three lions for football are in the shape of a shield. So that means you've got two normal sized ones and the bottom one is curved. What Ash had got was another lion the same size. That could just be a simple mistake you can laugh about, apart from when they're all the same size, that's the cricket shield. So suddenly, Ash went from having two lions to the three cricket lions tattooed on his chest. I said, well, do you like cricket? He said, no, I hate it. Okay, that's great. <laughs> anyway, we come back to the UK. Uh, we keep in touch a little bit, and I work in radio now. So at the time, I was working for a weekend show on Capital. 
And I said to the presenter, I've got this really funny story, I think you should chat to him. Um, we ended up getting him on air to chat about his third lion and everything like that. Um, turns out his mum still found out, did kill him. Um, and then on air, we're sort of chatting to him about it, and then the presenter I'm working with just goes, oh, you know what, Ash, if England go through to the quarterfinals, we'll pay for your laser removal. Great. Turns out, we didn't have the money to give him that laser removal. <laughs> and Liam, the presenter, kind of said that on a whim because he thought it sounded cool, not realising that England actually would go through to the quarterfinals. And I've not spoken to Ash since, but I still do get an inbox every now and then on Facebook asking me where his laser tattoo removal is. Ash, if you're listening, get in touch with 10 by 9 Manchester because I think they'd love to hear your version of that story. Thanks to Sam Morris for that. If you want to know more about our friends in Manchester, check out their Facebook page. And we're off on more travels now, and this story was told in Adelaide, Australia in April when the theme was kindness. Here's Barbara Binns. We all know that you can choose your friends, but not your relatives. And I apologise because my daughter's actually sitting here. <laughs> and this is an adventure where the truth of this adage plays out in so many ways. My sisters and I share many things. Our sense of humour, the stories of our childhood, some good, some bad. We went to the same schools and even on one occasion, even went out with the same boyfriend, but at different times. <laughs> oh, and of course, our love for each other. Where we are different is in our personalities. My sister Janie, she's the youngest, is the somewhat crazy, slightly opinionated, dog-loving one who absolutely despises the British government and the royal family. I know. <laughs> I am what you call the mother of the three and made to be responsible as the eldest. However, I've always wanted to bust firmly out of that role. And my sister Jackie, well, she was always considered to be the most flamboyant, fashionable one with a sense of adventure. Her hair took many different colours over the years. It was her adventurous streak that we all envied, and at times I did wonder how she managed to get away with the certain things that we couldn't. I think it was a bit of her act now and ask permission later sort of strategy, which was so opposite of my reaction, as I knew I'd be in deep, deep trouble if I didn't make the right decision. Does anyone relate to that as the eldest sibling? Well, when my sister Jackie turned 18, she got what we thought was a dream job. She became a tour guide working in Spain and Italy looking after British holidaymakers in search of two weeks of uninterrupted sun and sangria. You can well imagine that in hindsight this was a far from glamorous lifestyle with early morning starts, late night finishes, endless complaints, mosquitoes, trips to hospital with drunken injured tourists and forever living out of a suitcase. We knew none of this, of course, and believed our sister to be living it up in exotic locations and basically on holiday. So where does kindness come into this story? Well, after working away for nearly a year, we'd been receiving the odd postcard from the northern shores of Italy, a place called Rimini, known for its beautiful beaches on the warm Adriatic and in the 80s, the place for the holiday nightlife. 
Our sister was obviously having the most amazing time. So much so we hardly ever heard from her, but it was to our surprise that we got a postcard saying if you wanted to come over, she could give us a free holiday. All we needed to do was get there. In fact, her actual words were, just get yourselves here, you'll love it. Don't worry about a return ticket, because I can get you a free flight back with my staff credits. I'll fix you up with a room and meals. It won't cost you a thing. I promise I'll look after you. Well, how kind and amazing was that? We should have asked more questions. <laughs> it took us about three seconds to decide, yes, we'd go another 30 seconds to realize we didn't have passports, and three days to worry over where to find the money. But we managed to circumnavigate these issues with a pretty solid saving strategy for our incredibly poorly paid jobs and an even stronger argument to convince our parents that we should go. I was 21, and my younger sister was 16 at the time. So you can guess who was made responsible. You can imagine the excitement and the thought of going overseas for the first time. And in fact, as a family, we'd all been pretty inexperienced of any sort of travel outside of England. So this was a big deal as far as we were concerned. The only benchmark we had to go by was from our sister Jacks with her seemingly glamorous career. In fact, I would go so far to say as my sister and I were especially naive and had no idea what we had in store when we decided to go by train through France all the way to Italy. I'm not sure if we had ideas of the Orient Express when we paid for our tickets, um, especially it was, as it was the cheapest way of getting there with an under-24 special to entice us in. Well, we thought we could do 37 hours on the train, no problem. <laughs> there are a few tales to share another 10 by 9 about the baptism of fire Euro train experience, but enough to say, if I was using hashtags, it would be uh, toilets, couchettes, cheese, and personal space. <laughs> that might just sum it up for you. Needless to say, 37 hours on a train, greeted by my sister, bronzed, perfectly made up, white shorts and white stilettos, meeting two bedraggled creatures dragging our body from the train was not quite the jet-setting reunion we had in mind. I can still see it now. Of course, this was soon to be behind us. We were so looking forward to spending seven days with our sister and living the Italian high life. Well, that's what we thought anyways. We'd got here, and so the adventure was about to start, wasn't it? Well, the conversation in the taxi went something like this. Um, you know I said you'd be staying in the same hotel as me? Yeah. Well, there's been another booking, and it's okay, but it, what it means is that you'll get your own room. It's just that it's in a different place. Oh, all right, that sounds okay. It's close by, though. Not really, but I will get to see you, and I've arranged for you to have your meals in my hotel so we can meet for breakfast and stuff. It's just a few streets away, say like 10 minutes walk or so. Well, something got lost in translation, because replace a few streets in 10 minutes with more like the other side of Rimini in a 20-minute taxi ride. Oh, and what we thought would be a hotel was actually a very dodgy-looking apartment that a mate of my sister's happened to be able to arrange for us. But, you know, still, ready to have the time of our lives, and the next morning went to meet up at the hotel for breakfast. The conversation with the waiter went something like this. Us. 
buongiorno, really trying to impress. That was the only bit of Italian I actually knew. We're meeting our sister here who's booked um, us in for breakfast. Sorry, madam, what were your names? I don't seem to have you booked in for meals. Are you sure you have the right hotel? Well, our sister works here. Um, her name is... Uh, oh, yes, uh, she left early this morning with a coach tour to Venice, unfortunately. Without booking you in, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, no sister, no breakfast, and a rapidly disappearing patience. We went next door and bought a massive hot chocolate and the best custard donuts ever tasted, so not all was lost. Well, Jackie was gone for two days. <laughs> no message, no sight of her. We didn't know the first thing about getting around Rimini. So between getting sunburned on the beach, a dodgy apartment, huge mozzie bites, we hadn't dared to check in at the hotel for dinner. By the time she reappeared, we were not in the best frame of mind. On top of which, we'd gone through a lot of our cash. Because remember, this was a free holiday. And we thought we just needed a bit of spending money for ice cream and drinks. Well, we were still determined to have a great time. And when she did get back, Jack said she had a few days off to spend with us. So nothing was going to get in the way of that. We could go and do whatever we wanted. Sounds great, doesn't it? So we did clubs, beaches, loads of ice cream, and these amazing creations called La Bomba, which was the best combo of chocolate milk and rum I've ever tasted. <laughs> so two days before the end of our stay... We'd had a beach day by ourselves, as Jack's had to work. We went back to our apartment to shower, only to find a note pinned on the door. It read something like this. Sorry, girls. I've had to leave to cover a trip to Venice again, so I won't see you now before you head back. By the way, there's a bit of bad news. I've not been able to book you on any staff flights to get you home. There's just none available. But I'm sure you'll be okay on the train. Love you. <laughs> Deafening silence, followed by panic. Not just the thought of not flying back, but we'd pretty much spent most of our money. And if you remember, I was the responsible one. Well, you know when panic sets in and there's no reasonable plan of action that comes to mind? We went from feeling sick to hysterical over the next few hours. Sitting at a cafe, we counted the money we had left, hoping we had enough, and decided that worst-case scenario, we'd send one of us home. I hadn't <laughs> And the other would have to wait until Jack's returned. We'd been discussing our fate over a shared bowl of chips and a couple of glasses of water when a woman we hadn't even noticed sitting on the table next to us leant over and said she couldn't help overhearing, but was there anything she could do to help? Well, it may have been the setting sun, but I could have sworn that lady had a halo around her head. <laughs> In the space of a few moments, we went from despair to hopefulness. This lady and her husband on holiday from the UK had come to our aid. I think her name was Jan, and that she came from Yorkshire. She calmed us down heard the whole tale because it was so worth hearing, <laughs> bought us dinner, and the next morning came with us to the train station to pay the extra we needed on the tickets. She wasn't worried about the money. 
but gave us her address to stay in touch and let her know we got safely home. Well, I did pay her back. I sent a check in the mail several months later, but sadly we didn't stay in touch, as often happens with holiday encounters. But you know, when I thought about the theme of kindness, she came to my mind easily. So thank you, Jan, for your hand of kindness 38 years ago. And my sister Jax, even though we felt like murdering you right back then, you are actually one of the kindest people I know. Oh, and by the way, we were never so pleased to get back onto that train, even though we had vowed never to repeat those 37 hours again. <laughs> That was Barbara Binns with an extraordinary story of kindness. We have a few podcasts featuring stories told at 10 by 9 Adelaide. They are podcasts 79, 81 and 83. And you can get them wherever you got this one. And if you can, spread the word about the podcast. And a rating or review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts would really help. We have lots of events coming up in the next month, so check the website for details, 10by9.com, where you'll also find all the information you need if you've a story to tell. And that's it from this podcast. A big 10by9 thank you to Ruth, Sam and Barbara. And of course, thanks to you for listening. 10by9 is always free, but if you want to help cover our costs, you can donate on our website, 10by9.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Our theme tune comes from the Free Music Archive and is by Fantastic Swimmers, while our incidental music is by Brant Bourgeois, sourced at Facebook Sounds. For now, bye-bye.